0: Right, well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. I'm your host, Matt Hines. Thank you so much for joining us in the middle of your work. Day, if you're joining us live today, not only are you joining us in the middle of your workday, you are drawing yourself away from March Madness games as we speak. Um, I, just, I want to make, make it clear. I'm just keeping my eye on West Virginia, Maryland, because it was one of my, it was an 8-9, an Mason, and so I'm wondering, like, I mean, obviously, for people watching this on demand, you're like, God, I can't believe that West Virginia made a run. Anyway... Um, <laughs> If you're watching live, thank you for doing so. Uh, you can be part of the show today if you've got a question or comment on our topics for our guest Mason Cosby. Uh, we would love to have you be part of the show. Uh, make a question, make a comment. We'll bring in, we'll ask your question, we'll bring your comment up on screen and have some fun with it. If you're watching or listening on demand, um, thank you very much uh, for listening, for downloading, for subscribing. Every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio is always available, past, present, future, on salespipelineradio.com. Today, Mason told me right before we started recording, Mason is 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 phenomenal. He's got a new job. He's got a pending baby. He just got back from Scotland. He loves sales. Mason Cosby, everybody, thanks for joining us, man.
1: Matt, I will always join anything you ask because you are a legend in and of yourself. So I'm just excited to be here. Legend in my own mind, I think, is what you just said. So yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, that's all. It's
0: yeah. It's uh. It's it's all good. Well, look, I um. I've been following you for a long time as well. Just, you know, you continue to to have great content, great insights. Um, And um, yeah, maybe just give for folks that don't know you just a little little bit about who you
1: are, uh, where you're from and what you're thinking about these days. Yeah. So, I mean, if you actually look behind me uh, on every call I join in, my wife gave me these wonderful maps that actually tell a little bit of our life story. So from Birmingham, met my wife in Jackson, Mississippi, where it's actually where I started my marketing career. And within the past year and a half moved up to Indianapolis um, and have been here for, I mean, a year and a half, just kind of worked at an agency and recently transitioned over to an incredible company called Sales Assembly that is offering elevated learning and development for go-to-market teams. So essentially we help train your sales and CS teams to to make more money, which is why I heart sales. You love sales. I mean, like, and I think your past few
0: roles and just the conversations we've had, you know, you are a marketer at heart, a marketer by experience, but you know, you realize and lean into the fact that like you can't be a successful marketer in B2B without also having a successful sales team. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are now marketing at a company whose customer is sales. So oh, yeah. I know this is a new role to you, but like, I mean, talk to me about why that was a priority for you in terms of the next role in your career for the, the, the company as a meta, but also just in terms of leaning into that integrated role as a marketer.
1: Yeah. So there's really two, two big reasons. One, Um, the previous company I worked for was actually acquired and I ended up stepping into a sales role for about six months selling ABM programs to other marketers. And selling today is just really difficult. Like Mm -hmm. as a marketer, you know, I, I get a relatively open calendar where I get to do deep work and meaningful work and get to build really cool programs and have the time of my life. But when I stepped into a sales role, the work is meetings. So I mean, you're just the best salesperson is back to back to back meetings. And I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. you gotta always be on because if you're not on, you're not putting the best foot forward. You're the representative of the company. Like that's, that's difficult. And the flip side is, man, I had one week that was super slammed, literally 70 hours of meetings. The next week was a desert. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that just wears on you. So I just have a deep empathy for sales having recently been in the role. And honestly, throughout my career, I've kind of gone back and forth between marketing and sales. And as I looked at the next role that I wanted to step into, I genuinely love the revenue team. I love serving the B2B revenue teams and specifically my own life. I mean, professional development has been the massive career accelerator. So when I looked at what Sales Assembly offered of learning and development for the go-to-market team, specifically focusing in on that sales team, it seemed like a perfect fit to go build a marketing program that actually helps salespeople elevate their career and actually drive greater impact in their organizations.
0: So I want to ask a follow-up question on something you said that I wrote down. It's that serving the revenue team. And I think I want to qualify it a couple ways and get your opinion on this because I think mm-hmm. there's, as, as a modern B2B marketer, you are part of the revenue team, 100%. right? I mean, today's modern B2B marketing needs to be revenue responsible. And then sometimes I think some people hear serving the revenue team and think that that means you are in a subservient role. So talk a little bit about what you mean by serving the revenue team, as well as your perspective on marketing's role on the revenue team.
1: So I'll give, give you two answers. One, when I was saying serve the revenue team, as I was looking at the next job, yeah, I wanted to be sure that I stuck in kind of this B2B audience was focused on the revenue team. Mm-hmm. So I had some other jobs that were looking at like the finance department and the HR side of things. So for me, I just love serving the revenue teams. And then, as far as actually sitting in a marketing seat and talking through that concept of serving the revenue team, practically what has happened for years and years is marketing goes off and does their own thing and sales does their own thing. And there's this complete mismatch of who we're actually pursuing and going after. If you were to ask marketing who your IDO clients are, they have this kind of idealistic version. Mm-hmm. And when you go ask sales, they're going to tell you probably the easiest closes that they've experienced mm-hmm. that may or may not actually be the best fit. So I, mm-hmm. I love sitting in a marketing role because I look at the revenue team as marketing, sales and customer success.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: sitting in a marketing role, my job is to make sure that we're targeting the right people, going after the right people, engaging the right people from the start. So it makes sales job easier actually in the close, but not right. just to get easy sales, but so that we can keep clients for years and years to come, making customer success's job also easier and better because I think everybody's been in a support role at some point and dealing with unhappy clients that were sold this vision and a promise that could never be delivered is always just incredibly frustrating and demoralizing. So I wanna be sure that clients and everyone in the revenue team are actually set up for success.
0: Talking to on Sales Pipeline Radio with Mason Cosby. He's the new Director of Demand Gen at Sales Assembly. Also check out his podcast, The Marketing Ladder. I've really appreciated just the content in this in the uh, the guests you get there as well. Um, there are some people that are nodding vociferously as we talk about sort of a combined <laughs> revenue team and revenue responsibility. But you and I both know, especially you know, with your time at Gravity and elsewhere, like this isn't always. The reality. This isn't always even like imminently possible. What are some of the common reasons you see why marketing and sales can't operationally get along? And what are some things that companies can start to do, not just to improve the relationship, but really to improve the impact? It's very much a one plus one equals seven kind of a situation
1: if you yeah. can do it right. So, I mean, practically I've now worked within sales assembly for, I think today is day 18.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have seen... To no fault of anybody, four mm-hmm. different target account lists that all had different criteria. Yeah. Because yeah. essentially, people go into a Zoom info or a, an ample market or a sales intel and they pull their own target account list based off of their own ideas mm-hmm. of these are our best fit customers. So, sales has got one. I got a different one from RevOps. I got a different one from a new salesperson that's bringing in kind of his network. And then I'm actually going through and essentially developing my own. Mm-hmm. So, again, we've got all these different people that are building the target account list. And again, they're married to it. They love this because this is their list. Right. When in reality, there needs to be an objective view of who are the best fit customers. So I, I talked about this recently on LinkedIn. I think that everybody, you know, what used to be the target account list, I think another way to frame it, and I love Sangram Verger's Verge's new um, term around this from move is the total relevant market. So identifying who is yeah. the best market for us to pursue, because especially sales assembly serves B2B tech there's like 100,000 B2B tech companies. we got two marketers, we got two sales people. So we got four people. So if we all tried to go after 100,000 accounts, it wouldn't be very effective. But what we've done is created a total relevant market of about 2,500 accounts. Mm-hmm. We're like, this is our pool to build out these segmented lists from for the next two or three years. Yeah. And we're gonna make sure that we are doing some kind of always on demand gen type programs that are making people aware But then when we see specific surges in intent, when we see we've got some roadshows and we can pull in specific contacts that are at these accounts, we're being sure that all of our marketing and sales programming is focused and targeted towards an actual relevant market. And what that has done is brought alignment because it's large enough that everybody can kind of get around it and say, this makes sense. But it's also focused enough that you can actually get everybody rowing in the same direction. So I think that there has to be the definition at the top of what is our total relevant market? How are we going to identify it? And then how does marketing and sales actually partner to build out segmented lists and specific campaigns?
0: I think that's so smart and you're making me realize um, that sales and marketing have a more problem, right? Like I've always kind of complained about the marketing of more that many companies just like we want more leads, we want more clicks, we want more likes, we want these up into the right charts. Mm -hmm. More sometimes is counterproductive in B2B alone, let alone complex sales situations. But you're absolutely right that sales sometimes has the same more problem. We want to target bigger markets because it gives us more at-bats. We want more leads, even if, just give our sales team a chance to sell. Whereas you're right, like you go from total addressable market to, if you're watching, like my hands are getting closer, like from a total addressable market to serviceable, obtainable market, which is a subset of the subset of what most companies think of as their target market. But that's a scary thing, Mason, because mm-hmm. now I'm saying I have fewer at-bats. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I'm going after a smaller market, and I get nervous that if I can't convert enough, I'm not going to hit my number. So I should be talking to more people because then I can have more better chance of hitting my number. It's counterintuitive, but that's actually not true.
1: Yeah, if if I may just add on that point, I was talking with our, our salesperson about this concept just yesterday. And the first thing he said is, honestly, what keeps me up at night as a salesperson Is not who we're going after but who i missed Mm -hmm. so again when you think about this idea that we're going to intentionally focus and limit yeah it is somewhat intimidating yeah
0: Yeah. but
1: what i also want to recognize is for a lot of b2b companies right now they are still building in public so they are creating organic content that reaches whoever the the algorithms let it reach they've got their own database what i'm just saying is yes still do those things that have a wider net but as far as, okay, I want to send my salesperson to do direct outbound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do we pull that list? I want mm-hmm. to run an ad program on LinkedIn or on Facebook, sorry, Meta, or on you know Google. How do we focus that so we're not spending to reach 100,000 B2B accounts, but we're saying we want some brand awareness type ads. Yeah. Let's focus on our relevant market. So again, I, I couldn't agree more. Because again, to your point, when we focus, it feels like we're limiting the at that opportunities when in reality, nobody's hopping on the call unless they feel like it's actually going to resonate. So when right. you focus, it resonates more and people actually hop on the call. Um, so I've seen some companies, and we, have a, we do a version of this
0: internally where we have a very distinct target account criteria. We've got our tight list. And it's not just a set of criteria. If you do this right, like it's not just – Filters. It's a real account list, so you should know exactly what companies you believe fit in that criteria. And that's dynamic. Some people leave it. Some people join it. We, I've, I've seen companies, and we do this a little ourselves, have sort of three categories. We got proactive, reactive, and no fly zone. Mm-hmm. Proactive means here's the companies in our serviceable obtainable market that we're going after right now that we think we have a we have a great product for. There's reactive meaning there's companies that I I don't know if they're qualified or I don't see that they're qualified, but if they come to us and exhibit qualification traits like obviously I will service them I will sell to them but I don't want our team to proactively go after them and then there's the companies that we have no business doing business with yep. right and and the definition of those are different for different people but I think to recognize what does it take to be in each of those areas and sticking with those definitions until you make adjustments intentionally to change the where the lines are but what do you think about a concept of saying okay like we have our serviceable obtainable market, but we're willing to sell to other people as long as they meet some of that criteria.
1: Yes, I mean, I, I think practically um, we are 100% aligned because you know when we are creating this organic content and when you really start to create great content, even if it's targeted and it's personalized, um, there is still dark social, there is still mm-hmm. um, a, a ton of communities where people will start to talk. So again, I, I think of this addressable serviceable market as the absolute best fit potential customers, mm-hmm. but then these other you know people that may come inbound, mm-hmm. they're good fits. They're not the best fits, but they make for good clients. We'd be able to help them. So again, I'm I'm on the same page on that front. I just think from a intentional targeting, where are we going to put our ad dollars? Where are we going to do direct outbound and sequencing? And who are we going to cater our content creation for? I think it's for that addressable serviceable serviceable market. But also knowing that by the nature that we're doing good marketing, other people will inevitably come in and we need to have a clear criteria around who is a yes and who's an immediate disqualification.
0: All right, so we just got a few more minutes here on this episode of Sales Pipeline Radio with our guest, Mason Cosby. He's new into a new role, like less than two months into a new role, um, also pending father. So congrats. You announced that last month, which is amazing. Um But like in a new role and sort of owning the full demand gen function without giving away your whole playbook, like what are the things that you start to prioritize as you look at like what can drive maybe short-term impact? What are the things that are building blocks for long-term, having more predictable outcomes from the work that you're doing? What are some of the the strategies you're using to build your go-to-market plan now?
1: Yeah, so I'll one, say if you want my full playbook, I'm actually very publicly documenting every single thing that I'm doing um, through TikTok that, that's, that is then reposted to LinkedIn. And I've actually shared on LinkedIn the 30, 60, 90 with tactical execution that I built for my interview process. So again, I'm actually happy to give all of that away if anybody wants to message me on LinkedIn because you know everybody talks about their secret sauce, but I had a, a previous boss that said, everybody's secret sauce is really just a thousand island dressing. So again, it's the same strategies, the same playbooks. Yeah. But how do you execute that for your business is the real okay. clear differentiator. So with that the the immediate things are we need to build a content engine that is publicly accessible. Mm-hmm. So Sales Assembly has provided, you know, for the past few years upwards of 10 weekly trainings for 200 B2B tech clients. None of it has been publicly accessible. The amount of content that this company produces is absurd. So then how do we pull some of it out? to then show the market the value that they could get if they were to buy an all-inclusive membership. So it's first building the initial content engine that is around, from my perspective, these live type events. The second thing is then how do we create a repurposing engine? You know, We've got an incredible team over here. I mean, the former VP of RevOps at G2, we've got numerous like serial entrepreneurs and investors and portfolio advisors. We've got some of the best people in enablement that I've ever seen, like this team, It's 15 people strong, but it's just some of the heaviest hitters I've literally ever seen in one space. Mm. And they're so busy building Mm -hmm. that they don't have the time to actually share their incredible thoughts. So how do we then create pillars in which they can do that? takes an hour or two a month from them, Mm -hmm. but then we repurpose that and actually turn them into thought leaders that are getting invited to speak. Because, again, we're also an education company. We do learning Mm -hmm. and development.
0: Mm -hmm. So the best
1: thing that we can do is start to educate the market on how they should be thinking about sales enablement, how they should be thinking about revenue learning and development and actually starting to give them a taste of what our product looks like so that they actually buy that membership so that's the crux that's the basis there's a lot more in that um like tactically we're implementing user gems because we have such good member mm-hmm. carryover mm-hmm. so that when somebody changes a job because the average cro is changing a job every 18 to 24 months if they've used us for two years and moved to a new company We can maintain that previous relationship and go with them where they go. So again, thinking through some of those practical, tactical things, um, but really just comes down to great content, incredible thought leadership, and then intentional connection strategy on LinkedIn to continue to further grow our network so that we're starting to connect and become friends with our ideal customers and our target accounts. Love it.
0: We try to keep these less than 20 minutes, Mason. I figure, you know, if I can create a podcast where if you cut up, if you carve out a half an hour to listen or watch, you get your content. You can go to the bathroom. You can get a drink. Get back to work, or you listen to the whole thing on the way to the market and back, and you're done. I think yep. uh, I think I, I, I like our engagement there. Also, very disappointed the West Virginia lost. While we were recording this, West Virginia lost by two points. They weren't like a big underdog, like it was a nine against an eight. But my bracket's already messed up, so you <laughs> know struggles real. So sorry, Matt. Yeah, it's okay. Um, Well, listen, Mason, thank you for joining us today. If people want to learn more about you, I think you mentioned like you've got a lot of your go to market plans um, are very public. I know you do. You've got podcasts, TikTok. What are some places people can go to check your stuff out?
1: Yeah, I mean, the main one is LinkedIn. Um, I don't have a newsletter like LinkedIn. (laughs) My LinkedIn feed is essentially just a constant uh, stream of my thoughts and anything going on. So if you want to keep up to date on everything, go to LinkedIn. Um, You can also find me on TikTok at Marketing Mason. You can find my podcast, The Marketing Ladder. Um, but really like my, my main one is LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me, hop with me anywhere, find me there.
0: Awesome. Well, Mason, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Thanks everyone for listening and watching. We'll be back next week for another episode of Sales Platform Radio. Until then, my name is Matt Hines. We'll see you next week. Take care.